This is the podcast where you can listen to my award-winning audiobook, But He Spit in My Coffee. I'm Carrie Williams, the author. Cindy Peller is our reader. If you haven't been with us since the beginning, I suggest going back to start with episode one. 53. Wanda finally schedules our first family therapy session. According to her, she and Devin have been building rapport. I seethe over this for the 30-minute drive to New Hope. How could a therapist treat anyone's kid for months without even talking to the parents? Wanda's office has a desk in one corner. In the center of the spacious room, two armchairs and a couch form a seating area, complete with a coffee table and a cozy rug. I take a seat on the couch. Wanda settles into one of the chairs, her royal blue suit skirt creasing as she crosses her legs. Your son is such a sweet, smart boy. He and I have gotten to know each other quite well. Is Devin not coming? I ask. I thought we could do a few sessions with the two of us first so we can get on the same page. I purse my lips and my eyes are already flashing. I'd like to get on the same page too. Wanda gives Devin electronics even though they are against the rules. Devin is the only kid at day treatment allowed to roam campus to find and see her without an appointment. He eats contraband candy in her office and plays on her computer. None of this is appropriate, so yeah, I'd like to get on the same page. Wanda clears her throat. You are going to need to learn how to parent Devin in a way that works for him. Ambushed and completely unprepared for her words, I fumble... What do you mean? Devin is a sensitive child. Your authoritative parenting style is not a match for him. In our sessions, he and I have been exploring other ways you can parent him. I watch her red, lipsticked lips moving over bright white teeth, no longer hearing a word she's saying. I bite out. I'm willing to listen to your suggestions, but we need to talk about Devin's behavior, too. After being here, he thinks it's normal to not receive consequences no matter how horrific his behavior is. I am not sure Devin needs any consequences. I nearly choke on my coffee. What? Explain it to me, she says, spreading her hands magnanimously. Why would you feel the need to give Devin a consequence? When he hits his brothers or sister, breaks toys, throws a screaming fit. What do you mean, why would I give Devin a consequence? His behavior is terrible. Wanda looks at me for long moments, as though considering how best to respond. Then she says, If you do consequence Devin, it should not feel like a consequence at all. You can send him to watch a cartoon or play with toys. And with that, I know for sure, I have fallen headlong down a rabbit hole. Wanda and I may not be on the same page after our first session, but I make sure Devin and I are on the same page. During our next home visit, I narrow my eyes at him and say, You listen to me. This game of yours is not going to work. You may have tricked Ms. Wanda, but I'm the boss, not her. Devin stares back at me, his dark eyes unreadable. Feverishly, I continue, you need to stop this because as long as you're being bad, you will not be coming home. 
If Ms. Wanda tells you anything different, she's lying to you. After that, our weekly family therapy sessions are contentious at best. Devin smiles and ducks his head as Wanda showers him with praise. He looks at her with puppy dog eyes when she mentions his attention-seeking behaviors. I try to frame my concerns in various ways, but I seem unable to communicate with Wanda effectively. He bit one of the boys in the cottage and kicked him in the face, and he gets no consequence? That's ridiculous. Too pissed off. He refuses to participate in class? Of course he can do third-grade work. He's in sixth grade. He just doesn't want to. Too judgmental. He needs to see you for therapy every single day? He's manipulating you. Too angry. Devin tells Wanda that he hates puzzles, and I force him to do them when he's home. She says that I need to stop. Devin's father treats him like Cinderella, and that also needs to stop. Devin is very hurt because I have only a couple pictures of him on my photo wall and many more of his siblings. Wanda suggests that I let Devin pick out some pictures of himself to frame and hang to make it fair. I quickly discover that it doesn't matter what I say about any of this. It's quite obvious that Wanda believes Devin over me. Wanda tells me that I need to take Devin to Golden Corral during his home visits. He's identified that as what will make him feel loved. It's Wanda's mouth moving, but I hear only Devin's voice when she speaks. He's literally trying to use Wanda to control me. I've explained this to her, but she scoffs at the idea that a professional such as herself could ever be manipulated by a child in the way I'm suggesting. But I know he's pulling the strings. And so... Each family therapy session, week after week, month after month, is nothing more than an unproductive verbal sparring event. Devin doesn't seem to mind. He sits back and watches the show. It's been ten months of foster care and day treatment when New Hope announces that Devin is ready to move home. Wanda, as his clinician, is the decision maker. I argue that his violent behavior is escalating, so he can't possibly be ready. But Devin has said he wants to move home, and so Wanda is hell-bent on sending him home, ready or not. New Hope sets a discharge date for the second week in June. 54. 26 days until discharge. Why don't you tell Mom about the hallucinations you've been experiencing? Wanda prompts Devin as we sit in her office. Devin curls into the corner of the couch opposite to me and wrings his hands. He mumbles, Her won't believe me. I'm sure that's not true, Wanda coaxes, although she knows perfectly well that I don't believe a word that he says and why. When Devin doesn't respond, she tells me, Devin has been experiencing hallucinations. He describes seeing a man holding a knife. Covered with blood, Devin interrupts, dripping blood. He gesticulates animatedly. He's tall and skinny, wearing a black suit and tie. His face is white and he tells me to do bad stuff. My skin crawls with anxiety like an itchy wool sweater. 
Wanda holds up a hand for him to let her speak. Sometimes the figure tells him to hurt his family. To strangle you and stab Brandon, Devin whispers as though petrified. I narrow my eyes at him, calling out his obvious lie. These hallucinations are way too similar to Slender Man, a popular horror meme. He's tall and skinny with a white face and wears a black suit. I only know about Slender Man because he's been on the news. Two 12-year-old girls stabbed their friend 20 times and claimed to have been acting on the bidding of Slender Man. 12 years old. About Devin's age. Wanda says, We're keeping open communication. Whenever Devin has hallucinations, he comes to see me and we talk about it. After praising Devin for having the courage to share this with me and reassuring him that she's always available to talk, Wanda leads him from the room back to his class. She returns and closes the door behind her. You don't really believe he's having hallucinations, do you? I ask, incredulity threading my voice. Settling back into a chair, Wanda regards me calmly. A staff caught Devin and one of his peers looking up the side effects of their medications online. First, he was flopping around saying he was dizzy. She chuckles as though reminiscing over a nostalgic memory. Then he acted like he had stiff limbs. He worked his way through the side effects all the way to hallucinations. He settled on that one. Why don't you tell him you know he's lying and to stop? I demand. That would not be therapeutically appropriate. In fact, it would harm our relationship. Devin needs to know I believe him, and he can talk to me about anything. Letting him think you believe his lies is enabling him. Wanda dismisses my concern with a wave of her elegant hand. He will get bored soon. There's no harm in it. My fingernails bite into my palm. Through gritted teeth, I say, that will make him lie more. Devin has completely manipulated you. Wanda's only response to that is a deep, patronizing sigh. She says, Let's talk about why you're concerned about him moving home. He's violent, I say in an are-you-serious tone. She looks down her nose at me. That's not true. Yes, he is violent and he scares my other kids. If he moves back home, I'll have to put an alarm on his bedroom door. That would be totally inappropriate and hurt his feelings. Wanda shakes her head as though I'm proposing tarring and feathering a kitten. There are three or four staff here watching him at a time, and they can't manage him. How can I? I am one person with three other kids. My oldest son used to help me, but he's in the army now, so I won't even have his help. And my husband works most of the time, so I'll be alone with him. Wanda gives me a long, appraising look. This is not about Devin. There's nothing wrong with Devin. This is about you. Her words spear through my hollow chest, and I wrap my arms protectively around my middle. In an angry whisper, I say, He's not ready to come home. He's throwing fits every day. At day treatment, 
but he is doing well in his foster home. It's not the same thing, I insist. He's only as Frajana's house to sleep. He has not had any problems during home visits either, Wanda says. Of course not, I snap, out of patience, out of my mind. He has no chores or homework and visits her on the weekends when my husband is there. Just because he can hold it together for a visit doesn't mean he'll be okay living at home full-time. You need to accept that he is coming home. The discharge date is still a month away, so we have time to work on your parenting. No, not a month away. Twenty-six days. I'm keeping count. My pulse thrums in growing panic. June is the worst time for him to come home. No matter how hard I try, I can't keep the pleading out of my voice. He won't even have school during the day to keep him busy. He'll go from not living at home to being home 24-7. How about a summer camp? Devin would love that. What summer camp is going to take a kid with his behaviors? He'd get kicked out, I snort. Wanda looks thoughtful for a moment, then snaps her fingers. Here is an idea. You can buy a summer camp curriculum and snacks. Let him run a summer camp for your other children. He could even invite the neighborhood kids. Run a summer camp? Devin, run a summer camp? Without a word, I stand and walk out. Later that evening, still struggling with insomnia, I scroll through the online articles about that Ohio couple. They tried to return their adopted son to social services because he was violent and threatened to stab them. The journalists don't even consider how those parents may have been in an impossible situation. They insist there is nothing a child could do to warrant this. The mother was forced to plead guilty to avoid jail time. I read, The prosecutor said he hoped the case would stand as a message and a deterrent to parents who seek to abandon their children in a similar fashion and would focus attention on issues raised by the case. A thick ball forms in my stomach. Using online property records, I find what I hope is their mailing address. I pull out a piece of lined paper and begin to write. 55. 22 days until discharge. Holding the curtain back, I watch Delano back his car out of the driveway. He's going to see a movie, a pretense that I've come up with to get him out of the house for a while. Kayla is at a friend's house. As the garage door grinds closed, I steel myself for what I must do. Devin has only been behaving during home visits because they're short, fun, and Delano is home. He goes back to New Hope and takes out his pent-up aggression on the younger kids. If he had to do homework, chores, and go to bed at 8 o'clock on school nights during these visits, they would not be going so well. How long would it be before he started stabbing Brandon and Amias with pencils and punching Kayla in the back of the head? In a forced, cheerful voice, I say to the boys, Why don't you go out back and play basketball? They scramble to their feet. As they head for the back door, I call, Devin, you need to stay inside. 
he turns. But why? You know you need to be supervised, and I'm too busy to go outside with you right now. His hand rests on the doorknob. I hear the basketball slap against the court. Amias and Brandon's shouts spill through the open door. I waver in my resolve, but I have to prove to Wanda that if I take even one little thing away from Devin, he will flip into a rage. That's the only way she'll understand that he is too dangerous to move back home. I'll be good. Sorry. Devin slams the back door closed. Feigning disinterest, I flip on the news and begin to tidy up. Devin fists his hands at his side and stares daggers at me. Saying nothing, I let him stew. He walks to the bookshelf and flings a book across the floor. Toys begin to clatter and slap against the tile. That's my cue. I retrieve colored pencils and a sketch pad from the hall closet. Come to the table and do some drawing. He ignores me. I hate myself for doing this, but I'm already holding rehearsal in my mind. Devin wanted to go outside, but I couldn't supervise him. When I told him no, he started to throw a tantrum. I followed your advice, Wanda. I didn't use the word consequence or punishment. I let him draw, because he loves art. Out loud, I say to Devin, Come on over here. You can draw while the boys play outside. Devin spins on his heel and disappears down the hallway. I hear the tear of papers and of something hitting the floor. The door whooshes open. I'm leaving this bastard fucking house, he screams. I've proven my point. The second that Devin doesn't get his way, he'll flip out. Walking through the hall toward the front of the house, I pick up Brandon's crumpled watercolor flower and the pieces of Kayla's pottery fish. Devin's green clay frog squats safely on the shelf next to his drawing of a spaceship with aliens, both unharmed. The front door is open. I peer out. Devin is picking up stones and hurling them at the house. Come on in. I'll have the boys come in and watch a video with you. I say in a conciliatory tone. Two neighborhood girls skip up the sidewalk and he screeches at them. You get away, you niggers! With a sharp intake of breath, I rush toward the girls and help them pass safely. Devin holds up a large rock menacingly. I'm going to kill Brandon. He lurches toward the backyard. I rush through the house to the back door. I hear Devin struggling with the gate and trying to climb over the fence as I call frantically for Amias and Brandon to come inside. I slam the door close as Devin boomerangs around the back corner of the house. He beats his palms on the glass. My heart slams in my chest. Devin leers at me through the window. He mimes a gun with his fingers and shoots me. Wanda doesn't wait for family therapy to address our disastrous home visit. She calls me. Why would Devin have different rules than the other children? I have to supervise him. He can't be outside without an adult. I am not sure why you think that, she says. At New Hope, the kids are under constant supervision, aren't they? Why would he need to be supervised there, but not at my house? Wanda doesn't answer my question and instead says, I am trying to understand why all the children could not stay inside until Devin was able to go outside. My conscience twists my insides 
until it sends words flaring out in defiance. As a parent, it's my prerogative to tell Devin when he's not allowed to go outside. That's no excuse for him to go berserk. If I'd told Amias or Kalino, they might have stomped up the stairs and slammed a door. They would not have thrown rocks or threatened to kill me. There's a silence between us, then Wanda says. And you forced him to draw instead? I did exactly what you said to do. I gave him a consequence that doesn't feel like a consequence. He loves to draw. That is not what I said. Her voice is sharp and slices through me despite the miles between us. 56. Eleven days until discharge. I juggle my phone on my shoulder as I grab a gallon of skim milk out of the grocery store cooler. The phone crackles with bad reception, but I can hear recognizable wailing in the background. What's he doing now? I say on the tail of a deep sigh. Mr. Tommy proceeds to tell me the story. Devin and Andy were talking and laughing as they waited for their afternoon cabs. Devin has told me about Andy. He's in the older group that Devin is now a part of. He lives with his grandmother, smokes pot, and sneaks his iPhone into day treatment. He's quite popular. Andy told Devin that he was going to see a movie on Saturday. I'm going to see a movie this weekend, too, Devin said. Andy's cab pulled up and Andy hopped in. Devin walked to the garden and kicked at the flowers. He dug in the dirt with the toe of his sneaker. He stomped on a flower, then looked around to see if anyone noticed. No one told him to stop. Then Devin's cab driver pulled up and honked the horn, ready to take him to Nimmin and Srijana's house. Devin grabbed his backpack and opened the door. It was his usual driver. Hey, man, jump in. Devin paused. Let's go, the cab driver said. Devin threw himself backward onto the ground. Stabbing a finger toward the open door of the cab, he shrieked, It's a dead man! He's in there! He has a knife! Mr. Tommy peered inside the vehicle, then drawled, No one's in there. You can't see him! No one but me can! Devin thrashed on the ground. Saliva dribbled down his chin, mixing with dirt and leaving muddy smears across his face. He refused to get in the cab, refused to stop screaming, refused to talk to anyone. I'm going to call your mom, Mr. Tommy said, holding a cordless phone in his hand. Devin shrieked, it's her fault. Her's the one making the dead man try to kill me. Her wants me dead. Ma'am, our shift is over and we're not sure what to do with him, Mr. Tommy tells me over the phone. Can you come pick him up? I offer to talk to Devin, but doubt that it will help. Hey, Devin, your mom wants to talk to you, Mr. Tommy calls. Devin screams, her's trying to kill me. Her sent the dead man to kill me. I think you should call his foster mom. He's supposed to be going to her house tonight, I say. Maybe she can come get him. This kid is something else, Srijana huffs into the phone later that evening. I had to rush over to New Hope. It took forever with traffic. My husband had to pick our boys up from school. Devin was laying on the ground on his back, kicking and screaming. Totally crazy, I say, mirroring her exasperation. I balance the phone to my ear as I pull the flat iron through the last section of Kayla's hair. She's going to her first middle school dance tonight. 
To my chagrin, she's wearing a pair of black ripped jeans, a white button-down shirt untucked, and a sleek black suit jacket. You know his old therapist? The one he had at PRTF? Yes, I can't remember her name. Beth, I say. Yes, Beth. Beth was watching. I heard her say, Poor boy, it's all the mother's fault. I take her words like a kick in the stomach, but Sprijana doesn't notice and keeps relating to me what happened. He kept saying there was a dead man in the cab, but I looked in there and it was empty. Of course it was empty. He was making it up. I had to get home, so I told him we could stop for ice cream. He got into my car and chatted with me as if nothing was wrong. Fury rises in Srijana's voice. I got him the ice cream, but I didn't want to. I know he'd tell them if I didn't. Oh, yes, he definitely would have told them. Listen, they're saying you set him up. Who's saying that? I ask. The staff at New Hope. They're saying at the last home visit you got him upset on purpose. I laugh lightly and shrug it off. I didn't set him up. I set a situation up where he'd actually have to follow directions he didn't like, and he threw a tantrum. I mean, really? Am I not allowed to say no to him? I'm glad you did. A minute you say no to that boy, he flips out, and New Hope's answer is just to never say no to him. I don't know what you're going to do with him, she says resignedly. Me either, I say, and we end the call. I slide Delano's wallet out from under the recliner cushion. Kayla is nervous and wants exact change. I pull out a $5 bill for admission, then several ones for pizza and soda. I drive her to the school, and she nervously climbs out of my car to walk toward the cafeteria where the dance is being held. I see some girls in fancy dresses join her. I watch them enter the school, all smiles and giggles, before I pull away and head for home. Later in the evening, my cell rings. It's Eastside calling for consent to treat. Apparently, after Srijana and I'd hung up, Devin ran into their garage. Take me to the hospital, you bitch dummy girl, he demanded of Srijana. He scrambled up onto a workbench and found a jagged piece of plastic. He scraped it along his wrists, but it wasn't sharp enough to break the skin. Then he licked the bottoms of his shoes and banged his head against the wall. All the while, he demanded to be taken to the hospital. Devin said he would have Srijana arrested for child abuse. She was the one trying to cut him. She was the one making him lick his shoes. She was the one slamming his head into the wall. Srijana called New Hope's emergency line, and they instructed her to take him to Eastside. Remembering me telling her how Devin used to try to climb out of my car window and kick my head while I was driving, she refused to be the one to take him. Half an hour later, Wanda pulled into Srijana's driveway. Devin skipped to her Escalade, gleefully calling, I'm going to the hospital. I'm going to the hospital. I give the nurse at Eastside consent to treat and agree to go by there first thing in the morning. This is Ben, but he's spitting my coffee. To learn more information or to connect with me, please check out the show notes.